Okay, so here we are. This is uh, podcast number three, and this is my very first podcast with a guest. And I am extremely privileged and excited to have on my show. I feel like I've got God sitting next to me over here. So, and the sign of God is when they're really humble and they don't, you know, brag too much about stuff. But after you hang out with them for a little bit, you realize, man, they they know a lot of stuff. They know like probably a lot more stuff than I know. I should probably get to know this person over here. So, uh, so without further ado, I'm going to introduce uh, Dr. John Collins, who was uh, my mentor and teacher. He taught half a dozen classes at the National College of Naturopathic Medicine, since to be changed the name a few times. And he taught everything from gastroenterology to dermatology to pathology, cardiac and pulmonary, and of course, homeopathy. So John, Dr. Collins here was known for his uh, amazing acuity, but again, humble uh, with homeopathy. And he spent 45 years practicing, kind of very similar to how I practice, in a house that was converted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and it's true. And, and his background is, I mean, it's, it's really kind of weird mm-hmm. that we have been traveling the same path. He's a little ahead of me because he's old fart. And, you know, we're going to put him out to pasture here uh, pretty shortly. Uh, he grew up in Connecticut, not too far from Valley Stream, which is in New York where I grew up. And his mom was into health foods. And his mom was into, at the time, in the, in the early 60s, Carlton Fredericks and Adele Davis. They were the nutrition gods. And Adele Davis was really into raw milk and, you know, fresh meat. And so that's what my mom followed, fresh meat. And, you know, pretty much every meal we had some kind of meat. And, you know, she never cooked a TV dinner in her life. And so that was, you know, amazing. And we had, usually it was a shot glass full of vitamins in the morning when we left for school. And it was, you know, the one we hated the most was bone meal because that was like, always got stuck, you know. But I could swallow about 12 vitamin pills without any water. I can't do that now, but I would just stick them in my mouth run out the door and swallow them in one big gulp. And I was like, okay. It's funny. She never really said anything to me about that, about swallowing them without water. And like, why don't you do them one at a time? You would think your mom would have been watching you a little more closely. She was just happy to see that I took those, those vitamins. So, okay. So what we want to talk about today is everything under the sun. So there's a lot of things under the sun. So, a very interesting phenomenon. When uh, John Collins was a little boy, he was interested in athletics, and so was I. I wanted to play baseball for the Pittsburgh Pirates. That's what I told my guidance counselor. I never would have played for the Pirates. I oh. would have the Yankees. Well, I wanted to go Yankees, but my, you know, I had a relative, Art Rooney, who owned the Pittsburgh Steelers. Mm, okay. So I thought I had an in over there, whereas... You know, the Yankees. Look look how you turned out. Yeah, look how I turned out. So uh, 
So John got interested in nutrition at an early age before I did. I didn't really give too much about that. And then, you know, when he was about 20 years old, uh, he, he, is, he was challenged. Wait, you were challenged by your daughter, I thought. No, that was when I was 50. Oh, that was 50. Oh, sorry. Uh, was 20, I, I skipped fishing. ahead. 20, he went vegetarian. He went vegetarian because uh, of ethical reasons. And then, you know, 30 years later, his daughter was challenging him about the ethics of eating dairy. And then he went full vegan. So I had the almost the exact same at age 19. I beat you by one year. I was in, uh, you know, nutrition school. I decided that uh, I wanted to originally be Carl Sagan after I got cut from the college baseball team, Nassau <laughs> Community College. I thought... If I can't make the college team, I'm not going to make the pros. So um, I decided I wanted to, you know, I wanted to study something that was very similar to astrophysics and something that I did on a daily basis. And so, you know, mostly astronomy, you're inside the lab and you're looking at numbers. And I'm like, that's not so much fun. So I, I decided I wanted to study the infinitesimally small molecular biochemistry and i thought huh that seems like a good thing let's do molecular biochemistry with food you know because my mom's really into good food you know we had bread in the freezer we had whole wheat pepperidge farm bread and it was in the freezer so it wouldn't oxidize that was her shtick and all the nuts and seeds were in the freezer i mean she was way way ahead of her time and so i thought okay so I applied to Cornell, and I wasn't much of a student at the beginning. So Cornell did not look favorable on my transcript, and they decided I wasn't the right material. So I ended up in Buffalo, New York, and I went to school, and my program was food and nutrition, and that program uh, was geared towards getting a PhD. Mm. And so, but I wanted to study you know, nutrition, clinical nutrition, yeah. how do we use nutrition as a form of medicine? So I was like, well, I'm, you know, first thing, let's get my nutrition degree. So I went to school with dietitians and food service management people. And at age 19, I realized, you know, in studying, you know, about animal protein and fat and saturated fats, like, really, you should be vegetarian. Hmm. So I became vegetarian at age 19. For Thanksgiving, I would eat some turkey. And then, you know, I also ate some fish here and there because fish seemed like it was a good thing. And maybe we need those omega-3 fatty acids. And then it took me another 40 years to become vegan. So you beat me on, on that one. <laughs> and it was mostly because of uh, the environment, really. But when you, when you look at everything together, really, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's like a no-brainer. I mean, yeah. it's like, well, why isn't everyone doing this, you know? From a nutritional standpoint, from an environmental standpoint, I heard uh, Richard Oppenlander give a lecture uh, on YouTube, and when he talked about gnosis, gnosis what are those receptors that fish experience? Oh, nociceptors. No, no, no nociceptors. Pain, pain. Pain receptors. Because mm -hmm. I was, when I was a little kid, I always thought like, 
because I went fishing, you know, maybe three or four times. I wasn't really, I was into baseball and football. Yeah. And I, I always thought like, man, that must hurt like getting a hook in your mouth and then they pull the hook out and they throw you back in the water. It's like, that doesn't seem very nice. That and was then, the exact line of thinking that got me to go vegetarian at age 20. I was fishing. Is that and right? I started thinking See, about again, we, I started thinking about what was going on at the other end of the line. Yeah. I was thinking, here I am figuring out which bait to use yeah. and which part of the of the stream the fish would be in, you know, yeah. in the shady spot versus the oh, you were deeper spot. Yeah. My father my grandfather was a big fisherman. Oh, okay. And uh and so then I started thinking, well, what about the fish experience? Yeah. Because you have to think about the fish to catch fish. Yeah. Think about what, what they want and where they are and uh so I started thinking, what about the fish when he gets the hook? Yeah. And so I was thinking about that and, uh, you know, the mouth. And the, even if you throw them back, yeah. you have to reach down in there and rip oh. the hook out. Yeah. If you throw them back, they probably aren't going to survive. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so I started thinking about that and I thought, well, I don't want to do that. Yeah. I don't want to do that to fish. Yeah. I had met a vegetarian, yeah. my first vegetarian I had met yeah. on, an, on an airplane. Uh, who didn't eat the airplane food. He just ate a grapefruit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> grapefruit diet. Right. And he was telling me about how yeah. good he felt being a vegetarian and yeah. stuff. And I had read Henry David Thoreau, who, yeah. who was a vegetarian. And I read the, um, you know, I was 20 years old. So I had read- You were read, impressionable. I was a student. So yeah. I had read the autobiography of Benjamin Franklin, and he was a vegetarian okay. uh, in the beginning. Right. Uh, later on, he ate everything. And yeah. Got gout and yeah, right. <laughs> various diseases. Yeah, but when he was young uh, and, and idealistic, yeah, uh, he became a vegetarian. And so I had heard of this. Uh, so I started thinking about it, and I thought, oh, I don't want to do that to fish. Yeah. Um, but I made myself go through the the ritual of yeah. catching it and killing it yeah. and gutting it and yeah. eating it the whole time, thinking this is my last fish. This yeah. is my final fish yeah. meal. Uh, but as I was doing that, I then, you know, the mind rolls on. Yeah. And I'm thinking, so I'm not going to catch any more fish, so I'm going to have to buy fish. Yeah. But that means somebody else is going to be doing th to the fish what I'm not willing to do. Yeah. And I see I was influenced a lot by books, I guess. I had yeah. read The Jungle yeah. by uh, Upton Sinclair, Sinclair in yeah. high school. Ooh, and that left brute. a deep impression on well, me. It should. And so I was thinking, well, what about meat? Yeah. And I thought about the, what I knew about the meatpacking yeah. industry and how brutal it was for animals. Yeah. So I wouldn't. I'm not going to do that. I'm yeah. not going to kill animals. But what about those people who work in the meatpacking plant that, through through force of circumstance, have to go in there and live that life and do that stuff that I would not do? Well, I'm not going to use my dollars yeah. to create that economic to contribute to that economic pressure. I'm not going to vote with my dollars yeah. to uh, to encourage. Uh, employers to create these yeah. jobs and to create these procedures that uh, that kill and slaughter animals. So yeah. I guess I'm stuck here. I'm going to have to be like Henry David Thoreau or that yeah. guy I met on the airplane. Yeah. I guess it's possible I'd heard about it. So I thought, I don't want to do it myself. Uh, it's probably just as bad or maybe worse. Maybe it's cowardly yeah. to not do it myself or it's uh, hypocritical, hypocritical to not do yeah. it myself and yet pay somebody else to do it for me. Yeah. Uh, and so I think I'm stuck now due to my logic and reasoning. I've backed myself into this horrible corner yeah. of One way. deprivation that I'm going to have yeah. to be a vegetarian. Yeah. But I thought at least 
the cows don't die to give milk. Right. And the chickens don't die to give eggs. But then I was in yoga and I had a guru who said, don't eat eggs. They're yeah. bad for your uh, yoga practice. Right. So I gave up on eggs. So you uh, gave up eggs before but you But the gave... yogis always ate, you know, uh, used dairy products. So you gave up... I gave up meat, fish, and eggs but all you, at once. But you... Oh, I thought you gave up eggs before you gave up, like, dairy products. No, I just gave up all that stuff All that stuff, at once. all at once. Uh, and, and then... That was when you were But then fifth. I was, a, I was a yoga, on a yoga diet, which was a, yeah. a lacto-vegetarian diet, so... We oh. ate lots of yogurt and cheese yeah. and butter and all that sure. kind of stuff. Um, but even my health improved from that. I noticed that. A big right. change in me. I was very prone to uh, mental, mental health problems as yeah. a youth, uh, depression and uh, mood swings. And I noticed uh, after I went vegetarian, I was, I was sitting, staring out the window one summer, uh-huh. thinking, what, what is this? What's yeah. going on? I yeah. feel, I feel, um, I feel balanced. I feel... Uh, at peace. What the hell's going on yeah, well, here? How come I'm not I, anxious and how come yeah. I, I don't want to like smack someone? I'm kind of steady in my mood. Yeah. What is it? Yeah. I didn't know until re- later on, a year or two later, I realized and I'd heard some other people talking about that. Um, but I thought, hey, maybe, maybe it was from that, that diet change. Yeah, maybe there's uh, something to this right, thing. Like right. You and, eat uh, the animals. With and the I'd hormones. had a lot of digestive trouble, which improved a lot when mm. I um, went on the vegetarian diet. Uh, as long as I, you know, I used, ate yogurt a lot. Yeah. And so yogurt, you know, has beneficial microbes and stuff. And so it helped my digest. So I, so I realized this is good for me. Yeah. So it's an ethical thing, but also it's good for me. Hmm. Uh, and so uh, I settled into that and raised my kids that way. Yeah, which uh, is kind of amazing. But my daughter rebelled. She turned against us at age 15 and said, you lacto-vegetarians are hypocrites. You think you're not harming animals by just taking the milk from a mother cow who willingly gives her milk to her young, but you're stealing it from her young and you're causing her to be uh, trapped in a factory farming situation where she's just kept constantly pregnant, lactating, milk machine, and when she um, uh, you know, starts to dry, get a little older and the production goes down, <laughs> she gets slaughtered. Yeah. So uh, she's a slave. And yeah. her young uh, are turned into the same. Yeah. Or if they're males, they they, uh, they go to veal, yeah. which Veals. is a torturous uh, short life Oof. for uh, young um, male. It's better though, bovines. three months, and they don't have to endure the torture for 12 months. How, how right. Long? Well, that's what I heard from one person say about eating meat. I said, you know, what, what's the problem? If you kill the animal, he's not going to suffer anymore. Yeah, it's like humans. If you kill a human, they're not going to suffer. Yeah, so they, you've solved, you just kill you've solved the human dilemma yeah, of, of right. a life being a struggle. Yeah. You're not struggle anymore. Yeah, uh, yeah, in fact, the yoga guru, yeah. one of the things he said was, where there is no struggle, there is no life. Yeah. I remember when I first heard that, I thought, no, no. Yeah. No, I want to find a life yeah. that's peace and calm and no struggle. Yeah. That's why I'm practicing yoga and meditation. Yeah. And the guru says, where there is no struggle, there is no life, so you must embrace struggle. Uh, so it's it's not a, it doesn't seem like it's a good uh, reason, uh, a good rationale to kill animals because uh, they're not gonna they're not gonna yeah, suffer anymore gonna after suffer. you kill them. That's sort of uh, a little bit uh, yeah. shallow thinking, I guess. But I lost my uh, I lost my track there. Um, That's but, fine. Yeah. This this podcast. Oh, the daughter. Yeah. So she challenged us. 
She put a leaflet on the on the refrigerator. Yeah. It said where milk comes from. And it was one of those three-fold leaflets. Oh, and it had the whole story the, about yeah. the dairy uh, females and the ripping males. The, the uh, young away. Right, and the veal. And, you know, and ripping the young away because the mothers don't get Mom to nurse. Mom's crying. Yes, they uh, don't get to nurse their babies yeah. anyway. Yeah. So they're... Uh, And so I realized that, yeah, <clears throat> milk does not necessarily hurt the cow to take to milk her. Yeah. But the whole situation is brutal. And yeah. so, so I said, all right, I'm 50 years old. I'll try it. <laughs> really? Said, You're so my you... darling daughter. Yeah. I will try it. Yeah. And, but if it doesn't agree with me, I'm telling you, I'm going back yeah. to oh, I'm wow. going back to it. So I had okay. a ball of mozzarella cheese. Yeah. And I put it in the refrigerator. I said, whenever I need some milk. Uh, protein. Gee, I, I'm going to take a slice pizza, off of that. I, need that and I ate that whole ball of cheese. I went about another one, and I found that other one in the back of my refrigerator. Yeah. Some months later, it was all dried up and cracked yeah. and stuff. I had just forgotten about it. I, I have a it's funny. I'm, I have a piece of. I have a cheddar cheese, uh, a block <laughs> in my freezer, for when I turned vegan at age 60 about eight years ago. Mm -hmm. Still there. Yeah. I'm waiting to give it to someone. I'm sure it's still good. Uh -huh. I mean, it's been frozen as a block and... You know, if I was, put it on eBay. You might be able to sell it for extra yeah. as an age. Double, double super it's age. age. <clears throat> it's really aged over there. But uh, yeah, I thought if I don't th thrive on this vegan diet, then all right, I tried it. I'll go back. Yeah. But uh, the, all the rest of my digestive problems cured from that. Cleared so up. I was still sensitive to milk. I didn't know it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And uh, sinus trouble. I used to get sinus infections. Yeah. Uh, if I would eat Tillamook cheese, if I ate too many, I could feel it in my maxillary sinus on yeah, one side. Yeah. And if I had a cold, uh, it would really get bad. Yeah. And after I went off milk, I never had any more mm. sinus trouble ever in the last 20, what is it now, 23 years. Yeah. Uh, so obviously I had some milk sensitivity. Interesting, yeah. Because um, my mother was very allergic to various foods and my sister and my brother had allergies, but I never thought I, never thought I had yeah. any food allergies, but I must have had a little bit. Yeah. Did you have... Did you have a milkman in your neighborhood? Yeah, but yeah. bottles. Yeah, the <clears throat> bottles. Yeah. Oh, they were so good. Yeah. They came, they were ice they had cold. A little paper lid you'd pull a little, off. You, you'd peel off. Cream at the and, top. And the, and the top, <laughs> it was all nice and round and smooth. <laughs> so you could put your lips right onto the <laughs> bottle. And I would just I would just chug like literally a whole quart of whole milk. Uh, this and, is what they call food porn, I think, what we're indulging yeah, in right now. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we, we would get pizza, New York pizza, and my mom would have like a half a slice. We would save it because she went to, uh, she worked at Carr's bookstore on Tuesday night. My dad would eat like a slice and a half, and I would eat six. Of, we're talking New York pizza, which was, you know, I mean, six slices. This is X-rated food porn now. We're, we're, we're talking, that was enough food for like three days for sure. And then I would have a whole couple of glasses of whole milk. and But I had to have salad. My mom wouldn't let me eat pizza without salad. So she always left salad in the refrigerator and said, can't eat the pizza without salad. So I was very dutiful that way. But I never thought about like how much milk I drank. I never, never seemed to have much in the way of health problems and mm -hmm. stuff. Oh, good. So I was okay with that. Maybe my type B negative blood was uh, protective, but I don't know. Well, there's this beloved uh, nutrition-oriented medical doctor, Joel Furman. Yeah. And he pointed out years ago that for human health, if you can reduce your animal intake down to only 5% of your calories, 
maybe for some people, 10% of your calories could be yeah. from animal products. Yeah. And the rest of your diet is whole foods, yeah. unrefined, no junk food, yeah. good balanced no diet. No oh, chocolate could be good in, okay, good. in modest right. amounts, right? All right. Um, that there would be no detriment to your health from having a small amount of your diet from animal foods. So I pondered that a little bit and I thought, okay, well then the only reason to be totally vegan yeah. is for the animals. Yeah. You go to ask the animals, yeah. do you, which, which, uh, which, which ones of you would like to sacrifice your life right. so that I can have five or 10% yeah. of my calories yeah. from uh, your leg or your yeah. thighs your or your wing. breast or your wing? You know, yeah. which, which ones of you can I kill <laughs> yeah. so that I could have five to 10% yeah. of my yeah. diet uh, and I'll be healthy? And none of them would come forward. Uh, interesting. Now you could imagine a suicidal cow or yeah. uh, depressed. a depressed chicken that might want to yeah. die, but still, that's that's yeah. no, that's a ridiculous that's idea. Yeah. So the the reason to be completely, in my mind, the reason yeah. to be completely vegan is altruistic. Yeah, it's not for the benefit of us; it's for the benefit of the animals who want to live their life. Yeah, like like regular yeah. people. That was know? another thing the guru taught me. Yeah, all creatures cherish their existence yeah just the way you cherish your own yeah. not in the same way yeah because we think about it and stuff and we have philosophy yeah. and we think about lifespan they they don't have right, all these right, concepts right. but they cling to life you try to slaughter an animal they cling yeah, to they life you're going to get injured in the process if you yeah. don't know what you're doing because yeah. they're going to fight tooth and nail right so yeah Cher animals cherish their existence and so can we honor that yeah. Could we honor that? Or are we destined? Are we forced? Are we required yeah. to take the lives of animals for our own survival and to think, well, we have a higher purpose. We have big things we need to do in the world. We're going to have to kill some lower life forms so that yeah. we can survive. Uh, well, it's true. But it turns out we can. the lower life forms that we, that we need to kill yeah. would be plants yeah. and bacteria. <clears throat> Yeah, fungi. Yeah, but we don't actually have to kill the animals, and we know that they cherish their life uh, in a way that plants and bacteria don't. Yeah, as far as our best understanding at right. this point. Right. Right. Although plants do have their life they force, they do. Right. So we like, shouldn't waste them. If you threaten a plant, it like grows away from you. You know, blah yeah. blah blah. That's another thing that <clears throat> the guru taught me. There is such a thing as cruelty to plants. Yeah. If you deprive plants of their uh, ability to fulfill their existence. Yeah. If you do that um, carelessly, wastefully, that's cruelty to plants. Yeah, that's not. But nice. we do need to eat them. <laughs> well, I mean, so I want to get to this uh, ethical dilemma. Yeah. Right. We're going to talk about with uh, pets and all that and their food and whatnot. So um, <clears throat> I was at a Ram Das retreat uh, before he passed away. It was in Maui. Flew over there. It was. Uh, that was the year I won Physician of the Year. Wait, what was it? No, I made the Hall of Fame, uh, our school Hall of Fame over there. Congratulations. Th thank you, thank you. So I, I missed my, my my presentation here in Portland. I remember. I, I saw you on video. Oh, you saw me. Yeah. And I was with Ram Das yeah. and Krishna Das, and they were right next to me. We waved to the camera and stuff. I thought that was pretty yeah. cool. But there was a 350 people at this conference. And the name, the theme of the conference was Love Everyone. And so, you know, after a couple of days, you know, they got the food, you know, that they laid out in this kind of fancy hotel place. And, you know, I noticed that we were uh, 
pretty much eaten meat at every meal. Oh, yeah. Was, yeah, bacon. Yeah, it was the normal fare. And so mm-hmm. I raised my hand. You know, they were given a question and answer period. I'm like, so um, the name of this conference, the theme is uh, Love Everyone. So is everyone's that include the animals? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, the animals. It's like, well, why why are we eating them three times a day during this conference? Shouldn't we, like, be a little bit more respectful for the animals, you know, and not eat them? It's a reasonable request to at least try. Yeah, because you are mm-hmm. Buddhists and you're supposed right. to... Mm-hmm. What's the philosophy? It's like you're not supposed to do undue harm. and So that raises the question... Do we really need to eat animals? And as you mentioned, you know, like, like how much do we need to eat meat-wise? So we look at the blue zones. Blue zones where people live the longest of any place in the world. And except for the Seventh-day Adventists, one small portion of them in California, Loma Linda, none of them are vegans. But when you see how much actual animal products they eat, you know, maybe once a week, once every 10 days. So they kind of really are mostly vegan. And do they really need that little bit of animal product to help them survive and live a long time? Uh, So in studying this for, you know, 50 years, you know, I've come to the conclusion, absolutely not. And, you know, the healthiest way by far is to eat a very diversified, plant-rich diet that avoids any animal products. And Walter Willett, Dr. Willett, who's Harvard professor, tenured, he's like the most respected nutritional scientist in the world, Mm. really. And he made the statement, the optimal amount of red meat uh, to eat in any diet is zero. And I'm like, oh, Okay. Yeah, red meat especially has causes trouble, huh? Uh, but I think it's all all the yeah. meats, you know. Well, what about that number I quoted from Joel Furman, which I yeah. picked up many years ago? Yeah. It, you've you've looked at the science more closely yeah. than I have. He looked at all the science yeah. to come up with that idea. Is is that valid? That as far as we know, human health is not harmed by a small amount of animal products, but certainly the way the standard American diet has so much animal products, it's killing us. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the blue zones demonstrate that. We mm-hmm. eat them, you know, once a week, once yeah. every 10 days. Uh-huh. And these are the healthiest, longest lived people yes, in the okay. world. So, so the real question is, do we really need that? Do amount? we really need that? Yeah. And so if you've seen the movie, you know, Cowspiracy, mm-hmm. there's a little interview with Michael Pollan and he's getting interviewed by Kip Anderson, and Kip asks him, well, like, if everyone wanted to eat, like, some meat, you know, like, from a sustainability, you know, we're going to get 9 billion people here in another 20, 30 years. Like, how much could we each eat? And he's like, well, it's hard to say, but, you know, really, best guess would be maybe two ounces every 7 to 10 days. Like, so what the hell's the point? Is that two ounces? Is that really going to make you? Are we going to sacrifice the environment of our planet so that we could have two ounces of like steak? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So I think, you know, that, you know, we know that fasting, which is pretty well vegan as far as I last, you know, <laughs> except for the bacteria. Yeah, you're breathing. You're breathing yeah. in uh-huh. some bugs over uh-huh. there, you know. 
So, but if you wear a mask, maybe, you know, you walk in the grass. Yeah, you walk in the grass. So, but anyway, yes, fasting. Fasting, you know, is one of the healthiest things you can do for your body. So, I'll be doing an upcoming podcast on fasting. And, you know, and that doesn't get any more vegan than that. So, when you look at these health clinics around the world, Buhinger in Germany, I went to last year, I spent a few weeks there down at True North and the Hippocrates Institute and all these detox, cancer, fasting clinics, pretty well vegan, you know? So it's like they transition from the fast and they go on to a fully Uh plant-based diet. Mm -hmm. And Buhinger has some remnant, you know, meat stuff, uh, some cheese that they use. It's like a farmer cheese. Mm-hmm. And they whip it up with some flax oil. Oh, yeah. And, and then they put it together. I can't, it has a name. I can't remember the name of this particular, you know, special thing yeah. that, you can, uh-huh. that you can eat. And then, of course, Gerson, Max Gerson, you know, originally had, you know, raw calf livers that yeah. they would grind, Every day. blend mm-hmm. up in the blender, and then you drink that down. But they did get rid of that oh, later on. Oh, okay. Well, I like to think that things that we know that are really good, we could make better, right? Like we could tweak things and make things better. And now, you know, because we have all of this food available to us from around the world, like we could get maki berries, which have the highest ORAC value in the world of any food comes from Chile. Or we can get konjac, which is the most viscous, soluble fiber ever discovered in nature. It comes from China originally. So we have access to all these great pomegranates, which protect us against, you know, a number of different cancers, especially prostate cancer, which I have to worry about because runs in my family mm. big time. Mm-hmm. So I have a Oh, this is the time. Perfect. Look at that. I know I'm not supposed to do this, but I'm doing it anyway. So this is one of my favorite books, Foods to Fight Cancer. Mm. It's not a vegan book at all, but we're going to put this on a different picture eventually. It's written by two French scientists, and I don't even know how I discovered it, and it's what I love about it. Is this a paid advertisement? No, not (laughs) at all. But they just have these great photos of, of food, and they describe in details about... You know, like broccoli has in it, you know, glucosinolate. And if you chew the broccoli really well, it frees up the enzyme myrosinase, which Mm -hmm. converts the glucosinolate into sulforaphane. And sulforaphane is one of the most cancer-protecting substances that we get from our diet. I'm like, wow, that's really quite trippy. And if if you blanch the broccoli, if you freeze it like they do commercially you kill the myrosinase. Ah. So you won't be able to make your sulforaphane out of that. So you need to eat some raw arugula leaves. Uh Or you can have some fresh broccoli to go with that frozen one. Oh, so that will activate. It's got extra for the frozen stuff. Yeah. So, But they did an experiment where they blanched the broccoli before they froze it to like 100... Uh, in 70 degrees instead of 190. Mm-hmm. And they found that over 90% of the myrosinase enzyme was basically preserved. So commercially, you could tweak that and still get the same effect. And save energy. Plant- save energy, hmm. but also preserve the myrosinase. Yeah. Hmm. So when we were you know, in school, 
and we were reading about nutritionists and they kept talking about enzymes. And I was like, what do you mean enzymes? You eat those enzymes, they go in your stomach and they get, you know, basically denatured. So the enzymes don't matter in the food. That doesn't help us. But, but now we know from various researchers that, well, it's kind of true. It's just like, you know, Dr. Kellogg originally, when Dr. Kellogg came up with his wacky program of separating the sexes and, you know, he would talk about dead animals rotting in your gut and you shouldn't eat them, you know, it's poisonous and stuff. And, you know, you should do colonics on a routine basis to get rid of toxins and endotoxins and you know, he seemed to be a little wacky. And they did that movie, The Road to Wellville. Oh, right. And yeah. they made him look like a buffoon. Yeah. Yeah. And now he was eccentric, no doubt about it. But he also lived to 92 years old. He was born in 1852. If you were born in 1852 as a male, you lived 47 years on an average. Uh-huh. So I want to live to 92 if I can. You know, I'm, I'm shooting for 113, but that's another story. So we'll see how it goes. 113, that's the record? No, the record's 122 and a half. Oh, okay. Janae, I want to leave, you know, her at the top, you know, okay. she's female. That's considerate of you. That's the one. It's that's gentlemanly the, of you. Yeah, very gentle. Mm. But I have a picture out in the waiting room of uh, Panchita, and she was 110, huh. and she was in Costa Rica. Huh. And, you know, she, I have a, there's a picture with seven generations. Wow. Seven generations. That's all lined. Cool. That's crazy, yeah, yeah. you know. She started young, you know. She she started young. So now um, back to the the animals. So you know, I came about ethics later on, you know. And you know, for me, like environment's really important from a nutritional standpoint. It's like a no, absolute no brainer. And if people want to see, there's a podcast, Rich Roll, and he interviews Walter Longo. Another one. Sorry, we're gonna do it again. Uh, the longevity diet. I'm a big fan. He's a big fasting guy. And in this, you know, discussion that he had with Rich Roll, Rich Roll kept on pushing him, like, what is the ideal diet? What, you know, what is the ideal? Because in the, the book, ideal diet, the ideal diet for humans for health and longevity. And you know, he was like, you know, pretty much, you know, vegan, plant based, whole foods diet with maybe a little bit of fish, small fish. But when he got pushed a little bit further, he basically admitted that, yeah, a fully plant-based vegan diet, whole foods plant-based diet, is going to give you the best bang for your buck. Mm. And so it's like, okay, I want him on my team. You know, he's a smart guy over there. But, you know, everything that I have read, you know, leads to the same path. So then, you know, now we get down to the ethics. So the ethics is unarguably. And so you being the kind of guy you are, you and your I wife. I am the kind of guy I am. Know, you I won't are, deny it. You know, you, you, you know <laughs> from an early age, you, know, like you didn't like this torturing of the animals. So you decided, I'm going to save the animals. And so you started up this out-to-pasture sanctuary out in Estacada. When did you start this? Uh... My wife started it. Wife started it. Yeah, I um, I agreed to help her. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I was very busy with my yeah. practice and teaching. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Our kids had grown up and were moving out, yeah. and uh, 
prior to that, we had gotten a place in the country. Yeah. Because uh, she really loved horses. Right. So we had a couple of horses. Yeah. And for that, you have to have barns and right. stall stables and stuff. Yeah. And so our kids are moving out. Um, so you had that empty nest idea. Well, you got empty barn. Uh, and so she... Um, Horses, the grocery store for a horse is called the feed store, you know? So you go to the feed store every yeah. week or so, and you buy bags of yeah. grain, or you buy bales of hay and straw yeah. and this kind of stuff. And so she just saw a sign on the feed store about help wanted uh, for, for animals. Yeah. And this was a lady who was um, rescuing horses yeah. from uh, situations of uh, neglect, people who'd lost their property, yeah. couldn't feed the horse anymore, or... Uh, outright more criminal neglect where horses were starving and yeah. this and that or abused. Um, and so this woman uh, had, she was a school bus driver. All right. And she lived in a little apartment. She was a single mom living in this little apartment with her daughter who was yeah. a high schooler. And she had a pickup truck and a little horse trailer. That's all she had as far as farming goes. Yeah. She had no land. Right. And she would go around, it's called Oregon Animal Rescue. Okay. And she would go around and load up these 1,200 pound animals into her trailer, horses, and find places that would take care of them. They call it fostering them. Yeah. Could, you, could you take this horse in and uh, let it in your pasture and let it shelter in your barn? Yeah. And if you can adopt it, or at least could you shelter it until I find somebody to adopt it? Yeah. And she was doing this uh, and had uh, served the, the needs of a number of horses that way. So my wife is thinking, well, gosh, we got a lot more than she does. We have a horse trailer, and we've got barns, and we have a pasture. And so oh boy, let's help her out. Yeah. And so she started taking in some animals, and that's how it started. Yeah. Uh, so that lady got us, uh, as we found out, once you get a reputation for oh this, boy. you get contacted a lot. Yeah. Uh, I decided the other day to keep a log, because my wife's always talking about, she does, my wife does all of the correspondence yeah. for our sanctuary. Uh, she does all the social media and correspondence. Gotcha. I'm more of this the, the grunt worker who yeah. goes outside and does chores <laughs> and takes care of the equipment and yeah. the fences and the roofing right. and all that stuff. I'm uh, sort of the the hand, you know, yeah. the custodian. Right. But she does a lot of the all the social media and contacts. And for years, I've been hearing her many times a week saying, "Oh, somebody's got this problem. Somebody's got that problem." Yeah. And, and we're always full. We right. can't take on more animals without. Um, creating uh, harm to the ones we have from right. overcrowding. So she's got like this adoption agency going. Yeah. And so I decided uh, a couple of weeks ago, I'm going to make a list because she's always talking about these things and I'm always having to ask, well, which pig was that you're talking yeah. about? What rooster? And she gets irritated that I don't remember <laughs> which one. So, I, okay, I'm going to make a list. Yeah. And it turns out every single day on average, yeah. once a day for the last 15 days, she has gotten a request from somebody who's desperate about it's been a steer, um, a bull, uh, a cow, another cow, a goat, a rooster, a chicken, uh, two pigs. It goes on and on. Wow. Llamas, every single day, yeah. on average, she gets at least one request. Yeah. And so this lady back then <clears throat> was getting this. And so she would then constantly, oh, she, my wife, she got a soft spot here. She got someplace she can yeah. send these animals. Oh, so she started filling up our barn. Oh, boy. So we took in potbelly pigs from the Northwest Miniature Pig Association. Oh boy! And we took in um, a couple of llamas that had been left out in the field on a chain. 
these llamas were chained oh God. for like over a year. You could yeah. see the ro the the um, yeah. indentation in their necks. Yeah. Uh, and so somebody had gotten those and and re rescue is the term that's used. It's kind yeah. of a kind of a sounds like a heroic yeah. term, but from the animal's point of view, I guess they are is a big relief for them Getting to get a new place. Yeah, yeah. that where somebody actually takes care of them. So that's how it started. Okay. And at some point, um, we were doing this, and it was costing us money. Yeah. And so, uh, and you know, I've, I, I've, uh, you know, I made a living, but I never got rich. And so I was, oh no, you know, this is, we can't keep doing this. We're, you know, we got kids going to college and yeah. stuff. And so, um, at that time, it was two thousand and four. Uh, somebody told us that you can do fundraising on social media. We had never heard of that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we're having bake sales. You know, yeah. we're having bake sales. Right. Uh, and so we started then. Get, you know, we got a, a web designer and started yeah. to do stuff and have some events on our property. And uh, so over time, we gradually um, got our um, Lewis and Claw um, Animal Law yeah. uh, program, uh, volunteered to do our um, nonprofit papers for us. So we got our 501c3 uh, status as a nonprofit wow. organization. So then we could ask for donations. And through social media, we found that there's a whole community of people many vegan yeah um or just uh, animal lovers who don't really think about their own diet so right. much who would love to come and help do your chores yeah would love to come and pick up manure and cut blackberries and yeah. repair fences and stuff so we realized that we could actually do more uh if we reach out that way we can you have more pay, help we have physical help, yeah. and we uh, have financial resources. Yeah. And so we've maintained that, continued as a non-profit organization, all volunteer. We don't have any paid staff. Yeah. So my wife and I volunteer. It's built up to be full-time now, but uh, we enjoy doing it. It keeps us together, and yeah. um, we, uh, we agree more than we argue, right, and we enjoy, we enjoy what really we're good. doing. And the, the animals are so appreciative. You know, that's yeah. what they say about, about uh, dogs. You know, the longer you keep them waiting, the later you are, the happier they are to see you when you yeah. finally arrive, right? So uh, and after raising three kids, to feed animals is so pleasing. They always love the food, whatever you give them. Whatever they you give always, them. It's God, they're always, they're so appreciative. And so it, it's not hard to get some, uh, you know, emotional uh, what do you say? Encouragement, sure. Reinforcement, right. Your right. Behavior, your behavior is reinforced because yeah, well, the animals appreciate. Really. And then you know, in the abstract, you can think of the thoughts that we, we talked about earlier. Yeah. What we're what we're saving them from and what they're not suffering. Right. But you know, you give them a good life, they enjoy it. Yeah. And you can see that they're enjoying their good life. Right. They enjoy the food you bring them. Right. You, you know, you give them a belly rub or scratch them behind the ear, yeah. they love it. Some of them, some of them hate people yeah. because they've been abused. Yeah. But um. So it's turned out to be a self-reinforcing behavior for us yeah. because we can see the need, we can see the result, right. uh, and it, it works for us as individuals yeah. and uh, as a family. Um, and so it's just gone on and on. And yeah. uh, we decided at a certain point you know, to not go big. Yeah. There are sanctuaries that are really big, and they have, <sighs> yeah. uh, you know, like the V Farm Sanctuary uh -huh. up in New York State. Woodstock, I think it is, or okay. there's Animal Friends, I think, in California. And you you do major fundraising, you get grants, right. you buy big property, you build big barns, uh, you hire staff. Four seasons. And you, hotel. the founder, 
you know, you write a book yeah. and you go on a book tour yeah. and you do fundraising and public relations full time. Yeah. And my wife and I uh, decided, no, that's not for us. Yeah. We'd rather just, you know, put yeah. on our boots and go outside and uh, and do some simple work. Uh, and so we've always kept it small. Yeah. And the problem is we uh, we're full. Yeah. Right. We can't. We could do more good if we weren't so selfish to not want to be full-time administrators. Yeah. But we indulge that that self-interest that we like to do outdoor work. We like to have right. hands-on with the animals. And so we keep mm -hmm. doing that. But we figure, oh, it's not, it's not, a, I mean, we could, it's not a bad thing yeah. to, uh, to decline the opportunity to become a big operation. Yeah. So we keep it as a small operation. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, and that note, Fiona Oaks, which you're aware of, just came out with a book. I started reading it. Huh. So for those of you that don't know Fiona Oaks, they did a movie documentary. Um, she, amazing history. When she was three years old, she became vegetarian. Mm, and then three. at age six years old, she became fully vegan uh, with uh, some encouragement wow. from her grandmother. Uh, so uh. if her grandmother wasn't like there, uh, I don't know if her mom would have indulged her in right. such activity. Yeah. Um, she uh, developed this really severe knee problem where she underwent a number of surgeries. And they told her that she probably, I mean, she's never going to run again, or, uh, but she might not really walk very much anymore. This happened as a child? As a child. Mm -hmm. She was, I think, 13 or 14. Okay. Mm -hmm. And she, uh, all these operations and stuff. Anyway, so she was like, yeah, I don't think that's true. So she ends up becoming this ultra marathoner. And she, you know. What is an ultra marathon? An ultra marathon is when you run more than a marathon. So okay. a marathon is 26.2 miles. So it could be a 50 miler, could be a 100 miler, which is beyond uh, my, like you're running the whole yeah, time. Or, yeah. 250 miles so she entered a race in the documentary they did that they did on her she entered this race she was like deathly ill she had like 103 fever and you know yet she ended up doing this race anyway here's what you say do not try this at home yeah yeah <laughs> and she you know she said well i gotta do it and she you know it was 250 miles in the sahara desert Okay. And it's like, so she has won an ultra marathon race on every continent on earth, including the Antarctic. And I think even in the Arctic, she did one. And so, and fully vegan, plant-based. And so, you know, people, you know, talk about, you know, vegans and they're all like, not really. So, you know, those people haven't seen the game changers well done, of course, you know, everyone's trying to pick it apart. But, you know, when you look at these athletes who are fully vegan and they're, you know, lifting 400 pounds and, yeah, you know, the one yeah, guy, Patrick that. Bohemian, has got yeah. his neck is big, <laughs> bigger than my waist. And, you know, he lifts up four giant adults. I think it was like 1,250 pounds and carries them like 30 feet on this and, you know, and, you know, there's one cute part in the movie where they ask him, you know, like, well, you want to be strong like an ox? Well, then you should eat like an ox. 
an ox is a vegan, you know, that's what they eat. <laughs> yeah. you know? And, you know, people just have such a hard time, like, actually, like, perceiving that you could grow muscles with eating plants. So I got another, oh, I have a thing here. Okay, another little thing cut away here. So this is a question I ask my patients. This is a plate of broccoli. And it's Whoa. a big plate, you yes. know. It's a lot. I probably wouldn't eat that much broccoli. Yeah, that's a few pounds. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's actually 906 grams. So the question is, how much protein is in this plate of broccoli? And, you know, well. One kilogram of broccoli. 906, yeah. But yeah. So most people, you know, like, oh, two grams, maybe five grams, you know. 27 grams is the answer. That's a lot of protein. Yeah, it's like, about half your daily requirement if you're a young yeah, adult. Yeah, uh -huh. you know, it's like, I mean, it doesn't take much to get your requirement. So what we're understanding from a nutritional standpoint, the number one connection, and this has been true since 1991. I read this in Nutritional Biochemistry and Metabolism with Clinical Implications by Dr. Linder. She's a famous biochemist down in California. And she had this table. And when I was teaching nutrition at the naturopathic school, this goes back 1988, I had her table up there and it had associations and with cardiovascular disease. And by far, by far the number one correlation was how much animal protein that you ate. And, you know, you could tease out why. Well, maybe it has to do with homocysteine. Could be increasing IGF-1. A number of reasons. But, you know, we know beyond any shadow of a doubt the relationship of eating animals and your health. And so, like, but the resistance is great. People want to do what they want to do. Even Arnold, Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, you know, did a little segment. He said, if they tell you you need to eat meat, you tell them that is bull. You don't need to eat meat. You can eat plants. And so he had quadruple bypass surgery. You know, all that meat that he ate yeah. for all those years. Uh, he doesn't like that. But now he's, I don't think he's fully vegan, but he's mostly vegan. He's eating like those centenarians do yeah, yeah. in the blue zones, <clears throat> which is great. But... So one of the issues that I've been waiting for uh, to talk about, and this is a very important one, because you know if if you haven't seen Cowspiracy, Cowspiracy I believe is one of the great documentaries ever, and it talks about the environment, and it talks about free ranging animals versus CAFOs, concentrated animal feedlots, and you know really the conclusion is that. CAFOs are much more efficient to raise cattle because yeah. they cattle, they only live like 12 months, 11 months, and then you slaughter them. Whereas free ranging cattle, they need land. It's yeah, true. Two mm -hmm. to 30 acres. I, I'm not a yeah, cattle well, person, mm -hmm. but that's what I've studied. And so they have more land that they need to use up. It requires, you know, it's guesstimated 2,500 gallons of water for one pound of beef. That's just out. If you live in California, that's just outrageous. Mm -hmm. It's like we can't do that. The aquifer, the Ogallala aquifer 
in central United States, made yeah. up of eight or nine states, is becoming dry. It's going to be dry in our lifetime, how long we're going to live more. <laughs> um, but, you know, that's like crazy. Yeah. You know, that's like, that's where the breadbasket is of our water. So from an environmental standpoint, it just, you know, makes like complete sense. And there's been a number of studies to show that it might make up 51% all of animal agriculture uh, of our global greenhouse gases. That much? That much. Silas so it should be emphasized uh, vigorously by all the official people, all the government agencies and so on. How come they're not? How come they're not pointing this out? In the, in the cow, Are you wrong and they know better? Cowspiracy, there's a great interview. I showed this in one of my lectures. It was a little clip. And they were interviewing the Water Bureau people in California. And Kip was like talking to them. And he was wanting to get like, so, you know, 2,500 gallons of water for one pound of beef, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it would be really powerful to like suggest, uh, you know, maybe, you know, you public out there, during our shortage of water, our drought, maybe cut back on your meat consumption a little bit, you know? And, and the water official was just like shaking his head and it's like, you know, and Kip kept asking him, well, well, well why not? Well, why couldn't they do it? Well, it's just not going to happen. It's just, you know, and you could tell this guy ate meat, you know? I don't mm, know. Uh -huh. And it was just like, there's you a big psychology, you know, there's science, there's there's environment, there's nutrition, there's ethics. There's psychology is a big part of it. Yeah. It's a big part of it's it. It's huge. And so there's a great book, another great book. Uh, her name is uh, Melissa Joy. Melanie Joy. Melanie yeah. Joy. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Melissa. Melanie. She wrote a book called Why We Love Dogs, Eat Pigs, and Wear Cows. Yeah, yeah. And she does yeah, a great. She's a psychologist. She's a psychologist from Harvard, mm -hmm. and she does a great TED talk. If you ever get a chance, yeah, I've heard it. Mm -hmm. And I put it on one of my lectures that I did at the AANP in Oakland, and it was, uh, and it was. You're at a dinner party. We talked about this, and this is beautiful hamburger. And it's like, I mean, you know, I'm not really grossed out by hamburgers, except knowing like what they did to get it. And there's like cheese dripping on it, and there's like lettuce and there's a really nice looking bun and you're at a dinner party and the guest is like, wow, that, that was so amazingly great. What, so how, what do you, what's the secret? And, and the host is like, well, the secret is well-seasoned golden retriever. And I flashed up on the screen a little picture of a, a puppy golden retriever just to emphasize that. <laughs> and, you know, and her deal was the psychology of this is like, well, you weren't grossed out before when it was like a cow or a pig, but as soon as you learned it was a dog, which arguably pigs could be smarter than dogs could and be, stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, well, you know what? You know, that's kind of, that's kind of crazy. That's, you know, that's all in your mind, all that stuff. And now, you know, the if you haven't seen my octopus teacher, which I highly recommend, um, you know, after you watch that movie, you can never eat octopus again. <laughs> <laughs> not, not that I ever like ate octopus before, but, you know, but when people see that all of a sudden they're like, oh, or, you know, all these little family stories, Wallace and Gromit, uh, the one, the chicken, 
what was the oh yeah yeah mm -hmm. the chicken I, I recommend that, that one yeah. uh -huh. where the chickens revolt they're right. on a uh -huh. they're on a uh, chicken pot pie farm yeah and they revolt and they try to escape chicken run chicken run. chicken run mm -hmm. it's really good or you know with the spider and the and the pig Charlotte's Web mm -hmm. you know and that's how humans were born and that's how when we evolved we cared about other species and other animals. And along the way, our minds have been soiled and we now, we don't see things. And it's like, there's a great movie that my uncle's in. I have a famous uncle, Eli Wallach, and he was in The Misfits. I don't know if you ever saw it. Marilyn Monroe, Clark Gable, yeah, Montgomery. Oh, no, it's a famous ago. movie. Huh? Yeah, it's in the 60s. Mm -hmm. And the movie is, you know, is very interesting because they're out in the wild, wild west and Clark Gable's like, yes, I love the fresh air. And my uncle's like helping him out because he flies the planes. And, um, you know, basically they go and they round up horses and they round up these wild horses and they get paid by the government for rounding them up. And then uh, when Marilyn Monroe finds out what they actually are doing with the horses, which is they're making dog food out of the horses. She gets really upset. And it's like, well, yeah, what, what do you think they're doing with the horses? You know, that's what they do. They make. But that's a girl thing, right? To care about the animals. <laughs> like, I mean, a lot of yeah, women say, yeah. I'm vegetarian, but my husband, he needs his meat. Yeah. Now, what is this? What does that come from? Yeah. Is that physiological? No. Is that of course not. cultural? The men need meat, women don't? Yeah, that's again. It's just this psychological. Men need their meat. Yeah, they need their meat. They need a smack on more us. muscles. Men have more muscles. Yeah, but you know, we we know that this is not true. We yeah. know that you know we can make lots of muscle. You know, gorilla. Look at a gorilla. You look at a gorilla. They're the pretty pecs, strong. Oh my god! Or orangutans and stuff. You know, they're pretty well vegan. And it's like, well, how did they get those? Well. You know, they work out at the gym, of course, LA <laughs> yeah. Fitness or whatever they do. They do but, a lot of brachiation. Yeah. So, so, here, so here is the big ethical question. This is, you know, I would say this is going to be, you know, very controversial and stuff. Uh -oh. And it's, it's good. It's good. <laughs> so, um, so from the environmental standpoint, we know beyond any shadow of a doubt, like killing all of these animals. By the way, we slaughter 70 to 90 billion animals a year. So currently, 70 to 90. 110 million sharks, about half of them for shark fin soup. So sharks have survived four mass extinctions. And that goes back way before the dinosaurs. That was 66 oh, million yeah. years mm -hmm. ago. So they've survived all of those mass extinctions. But right now, they're in jeopardy of becoming extinct on our watch. We're the worst environmental oh my God. disaster in the history. I mean, of the, the world. line from you know Arnold Schwarzenegger, which is just you know, and and the Matrix too. There's two great quotes in there. One of them is when the agent is is you know beating the crap out of Morpheus. He's got him chained to the chair, and he's like, "You humans, I've been trying to classify you. You see, you humans." Don't behave like normal mammals. You see, all mammals on Earth coexist with their environment. You humans do not. You humans 
you move to an area and you use up all of the resources and then you move to a different area. There's only one other animal that behaves the same way. That is a virus, a cancer. You humans are a cancer to the planet and we are the cure. Anyway, I thought it was a brilliant little monologue there and it's like, when you think about it, it's really true. So here's the, the big question. So we know, and I might not have my percentage exactly correct, that 20 to 30% of all farm animal agriculture is used to feed pets. Ah, so that means dogs. 20% of, of animal agriculture product? Yeah. You don't mean 20% of the animals are exclusively. Because there's the argument that oh. the animal foods, the animal, the pet foods, yeah. are made up from dead, diseased, damaged, rot, cancers, tumors, stuff that could not, they just rejected. Yeah. Skin, hooves, intestines, stuff that is rejected from the meat department right. uh, of the store and stuff. Right. Not that you're raising a cow and say, this cow is yeah. going to be dog right. food. It's well, like this dog, all... this this bull or the steer is going to yeah. be steaks and the leftover stuff that nobody wants. Right. That's going to go in the. And used food. to that used to be Afro Americans' food, you know, like down in the south, that was soul oh, food. We give them the ham hocks, we give them the tongue. The heart. we're not going to eat that, but we'll let you slaves eat that. So, a great movie is The Invisible Vegan. Another shout out if you haven't seen The Invisible Vegan. Politically, politically is extremely important to watch that movie. So usually, invisible vegan. yeah, the invisible vegan and mm -hmm. stuff. So it really points out to like the reason why Afro Americans have such high le levels of disease, hypertension, diabetes is because they're eating this awful diet, and it's because of the whiteies basically forcing this food. On them, because the original diet of Afro Americans yeah, mm -hmm. in Africa was pretty much mostly vegan. Yeah, you yeah. know, it was like plants. You know, they ate a lot of plants, and mm -hmm. so this so-called soul food. And there's a famous naturopath, uh, Ver Ver Fulton. Her name is Alvinia Fulton. Oh, Alvinia Fulton. She was a naturopath. To the stars. Yes. Yes. To mm -hmm. the stars. She treated. Bill Walton, Roberta Flack, Dick Gregory, and she used to fast people right. and then put them on a plant-based diet and stuff. And they all felt better on that. So, like, I don't know what exactly the percentage is. Right. Yeah, but it's a lot, you're saying. But it's a lot. And so, you know, dogs, we know dogs can eat vegan, no problem, right. you know. So what about cats? Cats, cats What about tricky. cats? What and about so cats? How do you I, get cats to do what you want? I, yeah. I mean, so I have this, you know, debate with several colleagues and oh, that's the cruelest inhumane thing you could possibly do is give a cat, you know, a vegan diet because that's not their normal diet. And I'm like, that's true, but they are pets and we do look after them and we are giving them food and they can't live on their own. I don't think they might be able to eat enough mice and cats that. can revert to wild. Yeah, they can. That's one of the species that can't like can. a cow, a cow can't, but right, right. cats can revert to wild. Yeah. They call them feral cats. Yeah. It's actually a big problem right. in society. There's what is? too many wild cats around. Well, I know in some countries you see them 
they're just all over the place right. you know like in uh uh peru mm -hmm. in cusco the city of cusco there's just like gangs of cats all around yeah it's like you know they're unbridled population yeah so so the question is so all right so if we get humans to go vegan so dr silas rao believes that you know we need to you know become vegan by 2026 it's a tall order yeah. and you know i don't know how much better we're getting uh we have people advocating the carnivore diet which is I just, I just beyond my imagination. Okay, plants are toxic. They have poisons. We shouldn't eat them. Uh, yeah, they got toxins. But almost every mammal on Earth eats plants. You can't, you know. And some of those toxins or toxicants are actually anti-cancer. So it's like good. So they, so it's not clear cut, black and white. Mm -hmm. So you know, in terms cats but in terms of our pets and the amount of food that we feed them so this is a significant amount of animal products because you know yeah. i yeah, gave my dog that i had golden retriever for 14 years i did give her flax oil and i give her other things and she did eat plants but she did eat quite a bit of meat yeah they love it they love it so you're going to deprive them of you know, you're going to deprive your son of eating Twinkies. He loves Twinkies. You can't take Twinkies away from them, but maybe you can, and maybe they will be healthier. I, I mean, I don't know the answer. Yeah. To. Well, that's tough love. If out of concern and well-meaning, you uh, impose certain pressure on others for their own good, you have to be very careful, of course, that that doesn't turn into tyranny. Yeah, right. But, I mean, every parent has to do that. Yeah. Every parent has to make to the decide. kid go to bed, make, call, brush your teeth, stop using those words, you know, whatever. So Learn how to swim. Same with our dogs. We have to train them. If you yeah. don't train your dog, you better not take it out anywhere in society. You will right. be considered an irresponsible dog keeper because your dog is misbehaving, and he could have been trained. He could have been trained to follow your uh, domination or your yeah. leadership. Yeah. Uh, so, of course... We have we have to make choices for yeah. our domesticated uh, animals, and we do it all the time. And so, to make choices for their food, I don't see that ethically. That's a lot different from making choices of what they can bark at, or what they can bite, or what they can chase, uh, or where they can relieve themselves. Yeah, we have to train them not okay. to poop in the house. You know, all that yeah, kind of stuff. all that kind so, of. So, so to to uh, to not let them eat something that is instinctual to them, uh, that's not necessarily abusive if you can provide what they need. And even if they can enjoy it. So Maybe I think I agree with you. I agree with you. Dogs can thrive on a vegan diet yeah. if it's properly formulated. Right. Same with children. It has yeah. to be properly formulated. Right. Same with us. Yeah. It has to be properly formulated. Yeah, you can't. Um, but cats, cats, it's harder to, to succeed with cats on a vegan diet diet because uh the big thing that's brought up is taurine and amino acid taurine right. which is relatively incarnatine uh, yeah another one um that um is in relatively small amounts in plants compared to the amount that uh cats tend to need yeah and so you have to then have an artificial diet if you're going to feed cats uh, a plant-based diet it has to be a formulated diet but what's the big deal about that? Everybody feeds their animals formulated Exactly. Diets. I talked to Kit, you know, about this very subject. And she's like, we'll just add 
a little taurine and carnitine to their uh, their mix. And, you know, that's what they do. Like you said, all the formulas that they use have all kinds of stuff in them and artificial colors and different things. Yeah, yeah. In so there. that in itself is not, not uh, a good argument. It's not shocking. It's not a yeah. good argument that it's a formulated diet that, yeah. oh, my cat is not... Uh, living a hunter's life, yeah, and out killing birds and reptiles <laughs> right. and rat, and living on yeah. that as a as a raw foods uh, uh, carnivore. Right? Yeah, we put bells on cats so right, right. the birds so, can hear. So them. that's really not much of an argument. But what are? But if we're depriving a cat of their nutritional needs, then they're going to suffer. Yeah, they're going to suffer disease and uh, shorten, undermine their quality of life, undermine their duration of life uh, because of the way we have fed them, and we've uh, and so. That would be inhumane. Right. Turns out, though, that people have formulated diets uh, for that are suitable for cats. Uh, but, you know, uh, Ingrid Newkirk, she's the founder and president, still president, decades-long president of the People for Ethical yeah. Treatment of Animals, a very uh, aggressive uh, activist group yeah. in um, animal rights and vegan okay. veganism. And she recognizes that, you know, from all her scientific consultants and so on, that there are diets that are formulated for cats yeah. that have complete nutrition that are plant-based, yeah. but that not all cats will thrive on that. Okay. And in some cases, cats will have to be fed some animal products. Okay. So even vegan Newkirk, who's, who's many people consider really a nut yeah. for veganism and yeah. animal rights, says if sometimes you're going to have to feed a cat some yeah. animal food if it's that kind of cat that just can't handle it. Okay. Uh, in our case, we've got a lot of cats on our property because we take yeah. in, we're associated with the Feral Cat Coalition of Oregon. Yeah. And so um, you take in feral cats and you get them spayed and neutered yeah. so they don't uh, reproduce themselves. Right. And then you can release them back into wherever they were. Yeah. Or you can change their location and release them on in a barn or yeah. something to be a barn cat. Uh, and so we've done that quite often yeah. because, frankly, with livestock, you have to have grains, and animals are sloppy eaters. They yeah. drip and spew stuff around, like and rats love it. Yeah. So oh, rats yeah. can thrive yeah. around an animal operation. Yeah. And so we've had problems with rats, and so yeah. it's good to have some good cats around whose their natural <laughs> their natural inborn instinct is to kill rats. Do they eat them? Yeah. Oh, they eat them? Yeah. Okay. Some, some of them. Some of them just... Well, I think yeah. a well-fed cat. Yeah. But if you want to have a uh, have that balance where the cat actually uh, eats what it kills, then you just feed Don't them a little less. little less. You have to watch them, make sure yeah. they're getting enough nutrition. Right. But uh, Do so, a physical on them once a year. Yeah. But know. oddly, you know, people say, oh, yeah, that's terrible because they're killing birds. But frankly, at our place over... 20 some years with cats yeah um we hardly ever see we see evidence of rabbit fights yeah. you see the fur flies yeah you can see the fur uh we hardly ever see we can see uh, a, a hawk yeah. catch a bird yeah and you can see where it happened yeah and the feathers but we hardly ever see that okay we hardly ever see a cat evidence of a cat bird kill uh -huh. so it's very i think it's very rare oh, okay. in our place uh All right. Um, Your cats are too fat, perhaps. Maybe they just I don't know. Can't jump. So we uh we got cat evolution brand, yeah, a vegan cat formula. Yeah, 
And our cats did really well on it. They were picky about it. We had to put Brewer's nutritional yeast yeah. on it and some flavoring. Yeah. Uh, and then they just loved it. Yeah. Uh, loved it. You're using the word love. Oh, they enjoyed it. They ate it up. They, they were just, they, they I mean, you know, cats, if they don't like pigs it, they, they won't and, eat it. Pigs right? and poop on a vegan farm is what I like to say. Pigs do not roll in poop. <laughs> <laughs> That's only in captivity and confinement. Pigs, unlike goats and sheep uh, and a lot of other animals, birds, they will not poop in their in their living quarters yeah. they leave the house yeah. and they poop outside yeah. and pee outside and in the snow and then they come back oh, in i'm giving them a bed but they love mud they but love they, to roll so they're, mud. they're so anyway, is... that's an aside but cats we were very happy with uh, the problem though is that um, we would have to buy the stuff by the pallet yeah. load we had to buy 40 bags at a time Whoa. of 25 pound bags wow and uh or is it yeah or no, is it 25 40 pounds. no i think it's 40 25 40, pound yeah. bags um, and this, the supply has been really difficult because it's a small company in yeah. Chicago that manufactures it. Right. And so presently we're on another just mixed cat food. Diet. Yeah. Okay. We're, we're looking to solve that. So we've had to go on and off okay. the vegan cat food mainly due to supply Sup problems. Gotcha. gotcha. Uh, and so, but it doesn't seem an impossibility to us. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's, it bothers us. Yeah. Right now we're feeding and so we have some sick cats that really cannot eat much plant-based cat yeah. food. So we have to give them that canned cat food. Okay. Uh, so we just, you know. You do the best you can. Right. That's what that's what everybody does. Yeah. Uh, and that's what we say carnivores do that more widely than we do. Yeah. They say, oh, I'm not going to think about it. Right. I'm just going to, I enjoy meat. I'm going to eat. I'm not going to yeah. think about it. All right. So we can still do that when we have to. All right. The cats have to eat meat. Oh, I hate it, but I'm not going to think about it because I got to feed the cat. Yeah. And so- Okay, we're not perfect. All right, all right. We're not idealistically perfect, but we're doing the best we can. So I'm going to start up, and I want you to be my first member. I have the names of about 50 people, and I just haven't gotten it together because, you know, stuff time, blah, blah, blah. The NVA Naturopathic Vegan Association. I know some of my... I'll join if the dues aren't too high. Yeah, they're pretty reasonable. Uh -huh. The sliding scale. Uh -huh. you know, you might get <laughs> I'm some, retired. You know? Yeah, you're retired. <laughs> you got your Medicare card. I want to see yep. your Medicare yep. card. So, you know, and there's a big controversy of the word vegan. And, you know, and some of my plant, whole foods, plant-based friends, you know, they, they're adamant. Don't use that word vegan. Oh, that scares people and stuff. And yeah, my, yeah. my shtick is to make vegan a good word so it's not a curse word because some people hear it and they're like, oh, God, vegans, they're just so yucky and disgusting and sickly and they just are not, I'm not going to be a vegan. It's not exactly correct. And as you know, Donald- Just because you're a vegan, it doesn't give you a right to be an obnoxious asshole. Exactly. That could be a motto. Yeah. So in the NVA- so there, there's a big controversy, and you know people should watch it if they're interested. Uh, his name is Jeff Nelson. He says, uh, "You're not a vegan." Is the name of the video. You can look it up online, and it goes through the history of veganism. And Donald Watson was the original person that coined the term vegan, short for vegetarian, mm -hmm. and the original idea was nutritional status. It was a health Thing. I believe that was in uh, 1946, 1947. And then there was another guy that came in and was militant about that vegans 
The main reason is ethics. And he took over and all these members that they had decided that it was a little too strict mm-hmm. and a little too like neo-Nazi and, and they quit. And it's like, and then ironically, this person that took over the group, the Vegan Association, uh, was making soy milk. This was in the early 50s. And the soy milk, they had a problem at their plant with rats. Mm. So they ended up having to exterminate all these rats or close up the business. Hardly a vegan act. Yeah. So uh, the point that I would like to make here is that I think that we need to be a little bit lenient, you know, in terms of the definition. Uh, but, you know, I think we need to be edumacated. Like to use the ising glass fish bladder to filter the wine to make it clarified is like stupid. It's like, well, like, I mean, maybe it works well. And we've done that always. Just like slozenger tennis balls that we use oh, right. at Wimbledon. We talked about this. Mm-hmm. Travels an average distance of 60,000 kilometers. And we get the wool from these sheep in New Zealand. It gets shipped to Japan, and they got the rubber. And they put that. And by the time it gets back to Wimbledon in England, you know, there's your tennis ball. It's like, why do we need to put sheep wool on a tennis ball? Why do we have to have a pig skin for anything? I'm sure they got materials that we can create that work much, much better and are much better. And you're not like using animal parts. Somebody will debate you on that. About that, the materials. Oh sure. You can't beat wool for right. You know, There's tennis be ball. Debate you I'm sure that. you know, but you know, get over it. Like we, you know, as a species, I think that we need to evolve. Like right now, we're on the edge of extinction. Right now, 200 species, animals, insects, plants become extinct every day. This is the fastest rate since the dinosaurs 66 million years ago. That's a lot. And it's under our watch. We're responsible. Now you're more informed than I am about current events. Do you think there's a massive, uh, a mass attitude in society that we're like on a plane that's going down and uh, what you and I are talking about, uh, aeronautic engineering, but we're about to hit the water and all die. Yeah. And so our talk is meaningless. What the society... <sighs> I'm not asking yeah. you to predict the future, no, whether well, whether gonna, we can I'm change. Predict the future. But but what is the the general yeah. societal uh, attitude about making an effort to turn things around? Well, there's a great movie, and it was called The Corporation. If you haven't seen that one, it's another one. I'll, I'll send. I'm going to post my reading, reading list and movie list and yeah. movie list, which I have extensive list. And in the movie, they are interviewing various owners of different companies. One of them was, his name was Anderson. And he was president, CEO of the largest flooring, in commercial flooring place in the world. I, thought, I think it was called Interface Flooring. And, you know, in this, like, you know, documentary, you know, he was given a paper by some environmentalists. And the paper was like, can you give a little talk at a little conference and tell us what you're doing for the environment. And he kind of read it and he was like, oh, he never really even thought about it. And so it was like, wow, I guess. uh, And so it was kind of painful for him to actually like realize he wasn't doing anything for the environment. 
So he became informed and he actually started changing the practice of how they made the carpeting. And they made it so that you could delaminate it and you could recycle one of the layers of the rubber and you could recycle the top part. And it was like, you know, and, you know, he gave an analogy that we think us humans, we're flying, you know, and we're flying, we're like eagles. And, you know, and he, and he shows a little video of when, you know, they did those contraptions and they put the wings on them and they jumped off the cliff <laughs> and they're like flying, but they're, they're going straight down to the ground and they're still flying, yeah. but eventually they're going to hit the bottom and they're going to realize that they never really were flying. They were just crashing <laughs> the whole time. And that, mm -hmm. so, and I think, you know, that is true that we are headed down. And so what I tell people is that what I would prefer us to do is maybe when we start getting close to the bottom, which we're getting there, is maybe kind of level off a little bit so that not too many billions of people die. Because unfortunately, I believe there's going to be a lot of chaos because water shortage is imminent. Uh, you know, there's just not enough space for people uh, and I think, you know, the way we use resources, I mean, we are burning up, you know, fossil fuels at this crazy rate. I showed you the picture of the map. I was at MoMA Museum oh, of right. Modern Art. About old growth and forests. Old growth forest. And when you look at the map, 1620 in the United States, 50% of all the U.S. was covered in old growth trees. Now we're down to like point. 1%. There's a few trees over here in Oregon where we live out in the forests. And it's like, oh, really? We cut down all those trees? And it's like, well, yeah. And they're never going to be able to be replaced because they're thousands of years old. So it's like we need to sort of like as a, a whole, like the hundredth monkey, we need enough of us to get the picture that we need to change things so you're optimistic in that way. I it am. could be a so-called tipping point. Yeah. Where this very slow progress we're making can suddenly yes. surge. And that's Dr. Silas Rao's same thing. And so he gives the Kadai movement, which is the movement uh, to not buy British clothes. So as a means of getting independence. So he started it in 1917, 1918, and it went to 1931. And if you watch Gandhi, the movie, there's a section with oh, the burning yeah. the clothes. Mm -hmm. And everyone, you know, in 1905, he was wearing a three-piece suit made in England. And, you know, everyone was like, well, what's that going to do? That's, that's stupid. We're not going to do that. We're not going to go vegan. You know, that's, that's harmful. You, you're going to be unhealthy and it's not going to do anything. Nobody it's, else is going to. Not, not, not enough people will do not it. Not enough to do it. So the word spread by 1931, the Manchester textile industry, which was the largest industry in Great Britain, went bankrupt. It's like, whoa. And they came groveling back to India. Could you please buy our clothes? We need you to buy our clothes. There's a lot of people in India and yeah. stuff. 17 years later, they get their independence. And it all started from a single act of just don't buy British clothes. Mm -hmm. And if everyone does it, if everyone goes vegan, 
if everyone thinks maybe we don't need to use sheep wool for tennis balls, we got some other materials, you know, maybe there's enough of us that can turn things around and it could be overnight. Mm -hmm. It could be like a Many flood. people make a big decision quickly. Yes. They ponder it, they ponder it, they ponder it, and then bam, decide. Yeah. So it could happen. So that's what I'm hoping for. Mm -hmm. That's why you're on the show, because mm -hmm. we're going to make this thing happen. Well, and we're going to, you know, gently prod mm -hmm. people. Some people need to. Yeah. I have a little sticker here, and it says, I do yoga. I meditate. I drink green tea. But I still want to smack someone. In there. <laughs> 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 and it's like, you know, so we can't be perfect. But, you know, we could all strive. Maybe... We can't protect all the ants. If you've seen Seven Years Out of Tibet, there's one scene where, you know, Brad Pitt is hired by the Dalai Lama to make a theater. Oh, right. And he's, they're all <laughs> digging up the soil and blah, blah, blah. And, and all the workers, oh, and the Dalai Lama calls Brad Pitt and said, so you know that, you know, Buddhism, every life is sacred. And that means the worms. And you're killing all of these ones. So the next scene, they show them sifting the dirt, and they got the worms, and they're putting them in a little tray, and they're watering the tray to keep. Anyway, it was yeah. very cute, yeah. was, you know. So I mean, we got to be able to do that with you know some of the bigger animals like sharks, like to let sharks become extinct because we want to eat shark fin soup. Sorry, that's just like. That's not really using our schnoggins and stuff. To, you know, last week we talked about nukes in my podcast. You know, when we look at, you know, broken arrows, I mean, we look at, you know, how many bombs we've dropped, over 530 bombs in the atmosphere. I mean, all that goes in the atmosphere and stuff. So, we, you know, we signed the treaty in 63, like, okay, we're not going to do that anymore. Just like we also signed the largest environmental treaty ever signed was the Montreal Protocol. It was 1987, I believe. And it was about not using, uh, you know, floor, uh, oh, fluorocarbons, fluorocarbons mm -hmm. for the atmosphere that damaged the ozone hole. And the two scientists, Sherry and Molina, won a Nobel Prize for their discovery. And when they first, in 1972, came out with their paper, they were considered to be quacks. Yeah. And they were like ridiculed and they were ostracized from their profession. And then they win a Nobel Prize. And then even Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan signed this treaty. And they were responsible for making it happen because Margaret Thatcher was actually a biologist chemist she was mm, mm. she had a, a phd she was actually pretty smart she realized oh my god you know we need not to do this anymore so i i think that you know our job so you know our great uh mentor bill mitchell made the statement once that he said naturopathic physicians are god's immune system designed to go out and save our planet from the people that are unfortunately not doing well. So oh. anyway, I always talk about that, and I was like, "Oh, I like that. That's why. That's why I joined this profession over here because I want to make I good." I kind of like that because the immune system has many different components, absolutely, many different procedures and mechanisms, yeah. and, and so we need 
there's a room for a lot of different types of activity or activism or influence. We 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 mm -hmm. need Johnny over here. Johnny mm -hmm. over here is our our film producer mm -hmm. over here. Mm -hmm. We need people to send out the message on the internet because mm -hmm. I'm a little tech tarted. I don't know all this sure. stuff. And you know, we need people to market the stuff, and we need people. I mean, we need you know to paint the outside of the place over here. So we need all of those parts. And they need to be moving in a similar direction. And that direction needs to, you know, we need to kind of agree on some things here. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I appreciate what you're doing. Yeah. On the way over, I heard an interview with an actress. Yeah. And she was talking about why theater is still thriving, even in the era of film and movies yeah. and all that. She said, we have a need for, she said, John, uh, John Janet said this. Yeah. For eyes to see my eyes. We yeah. To connect. Yeah. And so people to people. Yeah. I mean, planet ain't going to save itself from us. We have to do it, and it's going to have to be people to people yeah, interaction, cooperation, coordination, and uh, not just offending people by judging them uh, as being inferior right. to our high ideals or something. Yeah. Right? You know, when I see the liver king, you know, biting into a piece of raw liver. <laughs> You know, I just think like, okay, that's very mm -hmm. funny. And then hopefully, he's eating. The, hopefully, not everybody will do that. <laughs> he's like eating the testicles of some other animals. Okay, that's you know, it's like, you know, ah, there's a better way to do that. Uh -huh. And you know what? You might be a little healthier if you just sort of limit that like <laughs> consumption over there. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it it is a funny thing. It's it's just it's difficult for people to grasp the big picture, and you know. I'm just going to keep banging my horn mm -hmm, over mm -hmm. here and I'm going to have more people like John on my podcast and we're going to talk about important things, things, you know. And if you haven't seen, you know, the movie Don't Look Up, great movie again, I think, you know, and there's one scene where Jennifer Lawrence is like, they're talking about the size of his genitalia, one of the, you know, the guys in the Senate that's running for office and it's like and her boyfriend is like more interested in that than the fact that this comet is headed to earth and it's going to end all life on earth and it's like and she's like beside herself it's like oh my god are you crazy are you crazy and she loses it she did a great job in that movie anyway i recommend that movie and if you haven't seen oppenheimer go see it on the big screen imax so John, well, I mean, we We're could all out of water. We, we, we could, have to stop. <laughs> yeah, we, we could be here for at least two or three more hours, easily, yeah. easily. And we're going to have you back. Talk about. We're going mm -hmm. to have you back on the show for sure. Because if I do, you have to give a more realistic introduction. Your introduction, I must say, was evidence of a passion for exaggeration <laughs> that's a see god is always humble you know he's always like he's not judgmental he's you know so i i urge people also go visit is that okay if i invite them to out no, to oh no we don't have visitors <laughs> no visitors you no. want to work okay we're only if, open once a year for visitors it's on halloween and you have to get a ticket that's a okay the and the tickets is, aren't cheap. A lot of our animals are not interested. Okay. In people. They don't like people. People were mean okay, to them. Okay. And it, like I said, it's a small, totally volunteer run yeah. organization. There's a lot of work all the yeah. time. 
It's hard to keep up. And whenever you have visitors, you know, like you have visitors in yeah. your house. You have to right. spend some what hours yeah, yeah. cleaning up, getting ready, yeah. making everything look Which nice, good so they me. won't know how you really live. Yeah. Well, that's an basic human psychology, yeah. Yeah. and so it's a big distraction uh, from our work if we have to have visitors. Okay, so we scratch have that idea. There are no visit visitors allowed, but I want you, you can to visit don't... us online, Instagram and Facebook. Out to Pasture Animal Sanctuary. You can see what we're doing and you can give us money. Uh, give them money. <laughs> if you, you want to adopt a pet, I adopted an orangutan yep. uh-huh. uh, that was basically going to be, you know, slaughtered and stuff. This was, uh, you know, a talk that was done uh, years ago. Uh, and it was about Borneo and all the orangutans were becoming extinct because they were cutting down all the trees oh, yeah. for mm-hmm. palm trees and it was uh, it was it was awful. And, and anyway, I became uh, the father or adapted as a pet. Uh, his name was Jojo. And I heard that Jojo is now officially in the wild. So they let him go and he's oh, like free right. and he's having a good time. Over. And he had his and he gave birth to a, a son or a daughter. I can't remember. I can't remember which Very one. Good. Anyway. Congratulations, yeah, Russell. Th- thank you. Thank you. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, out to pasture. Animal sanctuary. Animal sanctuary. In Oregon. There's one in Connecticut for oh, dogs oh, only. Okay. Not related to us. All right. So, so out to pasture, animal sanctuary in Estacate, and Oregon. Estate. Look us up, Instagram, yeah. Facebook. Yeah. And and you can look me up. However, we'll, we'll figure out how that, that works eventually. Uh, we'll get the word out. So thanks for listening and uh, stay tuned for. And thank another- you to our cameraman for yeah, saving camera, you for this whole thing. I can't believe he's. Un- I'm going to I'm gonna have to adjust <laughs> his back for sure and do some acupuncture. <laughs> I'm sore just looking at him. You know? Yeah. Yeah, you should give him a better chair next yeah, time. Yeah. We, mm-hmm. Well, we're going to expand, you know, okay. for sure. We got, we got, we got plan. We got big plans. You know? Well, know. thank you for inviting me. You know, this is great. I enjoyed this, the talk. This is, this is fun. Yeah. I mean, we do this anyway, but yeah. we might as well record the damn yeah. thing and let other people see what what inspiring minds are doing out there. And go read also Fiona, you know, Fiona Oaks's book, and it's about her sanctuary and how she created it and how like amazing athlete she is, and she's vegan since age six. Mm-hmm. And so she seems to be doing quite well yes. on her dietary plan. So, and uh, as as I mentioned, so I've been since about seven years been vegan. I've done as a vegan probably only about I don't know fifty triathlons, but as a vegetarian over four hundred triathlons to date. So you don't really need to eat animals. All right, but it's difficult. The Dalai Lama gives a gives a hint he says get in touch with your compassion with your experience of compassion your mother yeah your child your pet get in touch with how you experience compassion and how you have been the beneficiary of someone's compassion get in touch with that and then widen your scope slowly to bring others into your field of compassion a little more a little more a little more i like that yeah that's great all right Thank you, thank you, and uh, see you later, alligator. (laughs) In a while, crocodile. Yeah, in a while.